Well, this morning we're continuing our series called Great Lessons from the Lesser Known. And I love the title of this message. It is called, This Makes No Sense. Because I think you guys would all agree that's something that we can all relate to. Because there are so many things in life, whether it's our personal life or all around us, of things that just don't make sense. I mean, take this first sign that I found, for example. It is basically something you find in the local pool that says, do not breathe under the water. Does that make sense to any of you guys? What about this next sign for all you math wizards that says, two-hour parking, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m.? What? This one's great, too. It says, no pets allowed. Unless you're going to break the law, then they must be on a leash, right? And this is my favorite. Right lane must right left. Seriously? doesn't make sense to me. Do they make sense to you? Another thing that doesn't make sense to me is that we actually paid money. You know, some of our tax dollars went towards some of these, some of these signs. And there's just so many things all around us. Like, I started to think, is that why, why is it that we tend to press harder on the remote when the batteries are dead? Does that, does that make sense to you guys? Or why, should, why do we say things like heads up when we really mean duck? That makes no sense to me. Why is it that while we're driving and we're looking for an address, we have to turn the radio down? Does that make sense to any of you guys? That I do that all the time. And then, you know our grading system that is like A plus all the way to F when you fail? What happened to the E? You guys ever think about that? Like, does that make sense? What happened, the, where did the E go? I mean, I, I can keep going, but I'll stop. And, and all I'm telling you is that there's just some things in life that make no sense whatsoever. Well, today I'm going to tell you this story, and when you start to think about the story, and when you hear all that happened to this person, you're going to start thinking the same thing yourself. You know, this makes absolutely no sense. And you're going to start to, to think like I was left to think. It's like, why would God, seriously, why would God allow such things to happen? Because they don't make any sense to me. And I know you've heard this lady's name before, but she's not talked about a lot because she's not one of the better-known characters in the Bible. And as I started to think about this message, I realized that the truth is that, you know, there's going to be difficulties in life. We know that. The Bible tells us that. There's going to be storms. There's going to be trials. And they're just going to be part of life. But some of them aren't going to make any sense to you. And we know that some storms of life, I mean, we know this, that some storms in life are brought on by our own actions. They're caused by our, by our own sin, our own disobedience, if you will. And some storms in life we know that are caused by, you know, Satan's attacks or spiritual battles, we call them, and we can recognize them as such. But then there are some storms in life like we're going to hear about today that are caused by others around us, and we have to endure them. They are the other storms that people create. And, and it's one thing, it's one thing if we bring it upon ourselves. I get that. I understand it. But it doesn't make sense to me to have to bear the consequences or carry the scars because of somebody else's decisions, that makes no sense to me. But what you're going to discover through the story, and as you ask yourself, why would God allow that? And you're going to say, you know, this makes absolutely no sense. You're going to discover that God doesn't necessarily condone certain things, but he works within them in spite of them. So remember, he works within in spite of and remember that as we go through this story, remember that when someone else asks you, why would a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people? 
I mean, if, so, if we serve such a loving God and if God is so good, why do we have things? And then fill in the blanks. Why do we have sex trafficking, abuse, terrorism, and you can go on and on. I mean, why do we have these things if God is such a good God? Well, remember, God works within in spite of it, in spite of our corrupt human nature. And this story is about a lady named Hagar. And you can find Hagar's story in Genesis chapter 16. But let me give you some background. If you've been at church for a while, by the way, I don't think I told you guys to pass the basket of pens. So if you haven't done that, if you can pass the basket of pens, that would be great. If, if you've been at church for a while, you're going to recognize the name Abraham and Sarah. They're very well known. The book of Hebrews has them listed as the heroes of the faith, or they're in the hall of faith, if you will. And you guys remember, God gave Abraham this vision and said, Abraham, I want you to leave your land, go to the promised land, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. You will have so many descendants that it will outnumber the stars in the sky. And this was a big deal because when God gave them that promise, they were a lot older. They were a couple, a couple and they were older in age, and Sarah was barren, meaning she couldn't have any kids. So all of a sudden, they get this promise that they're going to be the father of many nations, but the wife can't have any kids. Talk about not making sense. Yet, they took a leap of faith, and they did what God asked them to do. And that's why they're in the hall of faith, because they took a huge leap of faith. So Abraham and Sarah, as it was customary in that day, because they were quite wealthy. I mean, they had, you know, Bill Gates kind of money. It wasn't like they had a donkey and a camel. I mean, they were really, really well off. Remember, God promised them that I would bless you, and they were wealthy. Well, most of the people in those days who were wealthy, they had servants as part of their household. Well, Hagar was the household of Abraham, and she was a slave, and she had no choice in anything that she did. She was owned as property, and she was there for Sarah's beck and call. So there's a first, this makes no sense out of the story. Why would God allow slavery? But remember, God works within in spite of our corrupt human nature. He didn't condone it. It was just the normal practice of the time, created by human desires, yet God worked within it in spite of it. And this is really important for us because there are things that happen all around us, around this world, that God didn't condone. We're seeing them today. I mean, look around. God doesn't condone those things. God did not originate. God does not support or endorse. But they're part of our culture. They become accepted as part of our culture. And in spite of that, even within that, God works out his supreme purpose. And that's what we're going to see in the life of Hagar. So God made this promise. You're, you're going to have this child. And Abraham is now in his upper 80s. His wife is even older. And they're thinking, this is impossible. And that from that point on, when God made Sarah and Abraham that promise, 10 years passed by. And guess what? Nothing. And it wasn't like God made him a promise. And two weeks later, Sarah's pregnant. And he's like, yeah, God is a good God. And we can move on. No, 10 years passed and nothing has happened. And here's another that makes no sense that I'm about to tell you, tell you. Sarah starts to think, well, God is obviously busy. So Sarah tries to help God out, and she jumps ahead of God's plan. And you know how we do that sometimes? We can't wait upon God, so we tell ourselves, you know, God helps those who help themselves. So we jumpstart God's plan for him. So Sarah goes, and she gets her servant Hagar 
takes Hagar to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to sleep with my young slave Hagar. She's going to be a surrogate and she's going to bear us a son. And what does Abraham say? Okay. <laughs> if you really want me to, right? Can you guys believe that, ladies? The nerve? Men these days, right? So, and here's what the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse 4. He, Abraham, slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, meaning Hagar is now hating Sarah. Then Sarai said to Abram, Sarai and Abram were their old Hebrew names before God changed their name to Abraham and Sarah. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your hands and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. Well, put yourself in Hagar's shoes for a minute. Hagar's a slave. She was picking up after Sarah the day before, and all of a sudden she finds herself pregnant with the promise that God made to Abraham of the many descendants. So she starts to think, wow, this is me now. I am the one that's going to carry out this promise, and I have it within me to do that. I mean, she starts to feel like she's a pretty big deal, wouldn't you? How can she not feel like, hey, my, my futures has greatly changed? And maybe she did walk around a little bit and, you know, walk by Sarah and kind of think like, how do you like me now, Sarah, kind of thing, right? Well, we don't know exactly what happened, but whatever happened and whatever discourse went on between the two, we know from Scripture that Sarah lost her mind. Now, I want you to think about Sarah for a second. How would she feel as she now starts to watch you know, she starts to watch Hagar get a little bigger in her pregnancy and progress in her pregnancy. And she starts to say, we don't know, again, what discourse they had between the two. But whatever happened between the two, Sarah goes to Abraham. And this is another for me as a guy. No, no, I should be careful how I say this. <laughs> the scripture is very clear. Sarah goes to Abraham and says, it's your fault. You did this. Well, that makes no sense, right? What is Abraham supposed to think? Abraham just did what he was told, right? Sort of. And now Sarah's saying, this was your fault. You did this. Abraham didn't know what to do. So what does he do? He just says, she's your servant. Do whatever you need to do. So guess what Sarah does? She makes life a living hell for Hagar. And then the Bible tells us that Hagar couldn't take it anymore. And she finally, there's one point where she just said, I am done. But she didn't take, make that as, as an easy decision. You see, she was violating the law. Remember, she was a slave. She was owned property. It wasn't her decision just to leave. She couldn't do that. She couldn't take it anymore. And it was so bad that she would rather face death than have to face Sarah one more day because of all the abuse that she was receiving from her. So the Bible tells us that she just slept. Then in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? What an interesting question. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. 
So somewhere along the way, God sends a messenger and he says to Hagar, and I just think these words are beautiful. He says, Hagar, I see you. And the child that is within you will also have a promise because he is the seed of Abraham and he will be the father of a great nation. So go back to Sarah and submit to her leadership. Well, that makes no sense to me. Why would God send her back into this terrible situation? God knew that it was a terrible situation. Why would God want her to go back and face Sarah, especially now that she has to deal with the consequences of her leaving? But the Bible says that Hagar did that. She turned around and she went back. She made things right. She served in the household. She had the baby, and the baby was named Ishmael, which means, by the way, Ishmael means God sees you. So Ishmael is born, he grows up in that house school, and for 13 years, catch this, remember 10 years before Sarah gets this promise, this baby's born out, 13 years pass by, so that's 23, and now all of a sudden, you know, Hagar is also thinking again, you know, I have this promise of God in my child. He is going to be the heir. He is going to be the father of many nations. It is a promise that God gave to Abraham, so she's got to start feeling that things are turning around for her again. So for 13 years, this is on Abraham's mind. It's on Ishmael's mind. It's on Sarah's mind. It's on Hagar's mind. So she's thinking the same thing. But guess what happens next? Sarah is miraculously pregnant. Now Hagar, she's on this roller coaster ride. And again, it doesn't make any sense to her because she thought all this was working out. And now Sarah's pregnant and there's no way her son Ishmael is going to be the heir. And, you know, she's probably thinking all these things. And now Sarah's pregnant with the promise that God gave to them. So Sarah has a baby and they name him Isaac. A couple of years pass by and Sarah notices that Ishmael is now a teenager and he's making fun of a very young Isaac. The Bible says that Ishmael was mocking or at play with Isaac. In either case, Sarah saw Ishmael, and, as, and he, she basically saw him as a potential threat to Isaac's inheritance. So this is what she did, again, taking things into her own hands. She did this in verse 10, chapter 21. And she, Sarah, said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Well, again, does this make any sense to any of you guys so far? Again, why would God do this? To this poor girl, Hagar. Why would God just go ahead and just, yeah, go ahead and send her out to die out in the desert? No big deal. But remember, God works within, in spite of our corrupt human nature. Abraham and Sarah, they created this mess. And God wasn't going to just come and just erase it like if nothing happened and make everything nice and clean and all better for them. He said, okay, you guys made this mess. You created this. These are the steps that you're going to have to take. Let's continue our story. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on, a her, she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, 
I can't watch my boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Can you guys imagine what Hagar is going through now in this desert? After all this abuse, after all of this misery, Hagar now finds herself having to watch her only son die. Of all the misery that she had to endure over all of these years, there's the one thing that she couldn't take is to watch her son die. So Hagar leaves Ishmael under the tree, walks away, and they both start crying, the Bible tells us. And then God in that moment comes to Hagar, another just awesome, beautiful words. You got to take these words with you. He says, Hagar, I hear you. Hagar, I hear you. I've heard your cries. I've heard your son's cries. And miraculously, the Bible says, God opens up her eyes and shows her a well, a well with water that they needed to sustain them in life and in their journey. And the Bible tells us that they move on and then we don't hear from them again. But here's what I want to share with you this morning. No matter what you're going through, I mean, you may be going through situations in your life that make absolutely no sense to you. You're going through the storms and through the trials and whether it's health issues or relationship issues or you may be confused and maybe you don't understand them and obviously they, might not, they, they may hurt, they don't feel good. And even if you're not going through them now, the Bible is clear that we're probably going to have to face trials in the future. Let me share with you the same beautiful words that God shared with Hagar. He says, I see you, I hear you, and my plans are for you. Isn't that amazing? Hagar's story is, is so filled with hurts and difficulties, but she did some things, and she put up with a lot. But let me tell you what kept her going. And it is the same things that can keep us going through our difficulty. When life doesn't make sense to you, you can choose to trust God promise, God's promises. Promises are things to come. They haven't happened yet, and we can choose to trust in God's promises. In Genesis chapter 16, God came to Hagar and he said, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. In other words, he gave her a promise. And whatever happened, that promise was good enough for Hagar to pull herself up and to go back into that situation and finish what she had to finish. Because God saw the big picture even when she didn't. And folks, God's word is so full of promises for our life. And sometimes all you're going to need is that one promise that is going to lift you up and keep you going. 2 Corinthians 4.8, and this is in your outline in the top, it says, Yes, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. And we're not crushed because what it says in Romans 8.28, where it says, And we know that God causes everything, everything means good and bad, God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. That's a strong promise. We're also told in Isaiah, that, and this is a great verse, don't be afraid for I am with you. 
Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Folks, sometimes having that just that one promise is the thing that you need to just keep on going. Especially when you're facing the storms that you don't understand. Especially when you have to carry the scars and the weight and of the things that you simply don't understand. God's promises have always been true and they will always be true. In fact, Scripture says that He is the same God today, yesterday, and forever. And it is the same God who rescued Hagar in the Old Testament. It is the exact same God that can rescue you today. So when life doesn't make sense, you can trust God's promises, but you can also trust God's plan. Again, promises are things to come, but a plan, a plan is something that requires action, and they come with directives. You guys remember the plan that God gave to Hagar? It's found in Genesis 16, verse 9. It says, Then the angel of the Lord told her, there's a directive, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. And we all know that's probably the last thing Hagar wanted to hear. She could have probably taken anything else from God except for that. And she's probably thinking, seriously, you want me to go back now after all this? Talk about things not making sense. But listen to what Proverbs says. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. And oftentimes when we don't seek God and we don't seek, seek his word first, we feel and we conclude that our plans are best. But in the end, it ends up causing more trouble. And we saw Sarah demonstrate this time and time again, didn't we? God wasn't moving fast enough for her, so she decided to, you know, jumpstart the plan because she had a better plan. Her plan made more sense to her. It seemed right to her, but it only, as we are learning, created more trouble. And then there's another beautiful promise that I, that I think you guys are all very familiar with. It is a pretty famous scripture from Jeremiah 29, 11. But I want you to hear what God told Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, and when he told him, Okay, this is after the Babylonians have attacked Jerusalem. They've taken 3,000 prisoners back to Babylon, including the king, the court officials, the craftsmen, and things are not getting better for Israel. In fact, they get worse after that. Talk about things not making sense, yet this is what God tells Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Folks, sometimes things are just not going to make sense to us in the moment. But God's plan is still good and full of hope. That's why we can be perplexed, but we don't have to give in to despair. That's why we can be confused, but confusion doesn't have to create this sense of defeat in us. Because, and here's a big sticking point for me, and I know it's going to be a big sticking point for you. God didn't give Hagar an explanation. Hagar didn't have an explanation to any of this. All she had was the promises and the directive. And this is frustrating for me because sometimes I, I feel like I'm hearing from God and I feel him leading me to do certain things that come with no explanation and I'm supposed to trust, just go do it. All I have is the directive. And the way I think about this is, and the way you should think about this is sometimes, you know, we're driving on a canyon road or a deserted road or we're driving up in the mountains and there's no lights anywhere around us and all we can see is 20 to 30 yards in front of us. 
Do we stop because we cannot see? No, we don't stop, right? Because we know that as we move forward, we're going to be able to see more and more and more. And we trust that the road continues. Well, the same is true with God. God is not going to show us the totality of his plan because let's face it, if he did, it would scare the living daylights out of most of us. But God only shows us what we can handle in the moment. And sometimes God has a plan that doesn't come with an explanation. It's just a directive. And his word is full of directives. Directives that oftentimes don't make any sense to us, but they provide the plan. Especially when, you know, someone's wronged me or, or someone has done something to me that I don't think I deserve or I didn't ask for it. Uh, and, and the Bible gives us directives that we're supposed to forgive them and that we're supposed to love them and I'm supposed to, like, pray for my enemies. That doesn't make sense. What if you have a boss at work and you, you're supposed to submit to their authority even though they're a jerk? That doesn't make sense. We don't get an explanation. We just get a directive, a directive based on what God knows we can handle at that moment. So like Hagar, we should trust in his promises. We should trust in his plan. And we should also trust God's provision. And what's interesting to me about God's provision for us is that oftentimes we don't even recognize it or, or we, we miss it altogether. We miss it because it's not packaged in a nice little gift like we asked for, and we miss it because it's not the way we thought it should be. But God's provision, as we learn from Hagar's story, is exactly what we need at the exact time that we need it. Look at what Genesis 21:19 says. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. In this case, Hagar received miraculously life-saving water, but, but God is going to give you just what you need, just when you need it, and that provision can come in many forms. It can come in the form of, of peace, of comfort, of, of courage, or, or wisdom, or so many other things found in God's promise. And we should trust that. Paul says in Philippians, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Let me finish the rest of the story for you. So we know that Hagar trusted in God's promises, his plan, and his provision, even though it didn't make any sense. She didn't get an explanation, and she didn't get to witness the end result of her obedience. Well, do you guys remember the story of Joseph in the Bible? Joseph is the guy with the, with the cool, colorful coat. He was in a musical. You guys remember Joseph now? Well, you guys remember that his brothers were so jealous of him that they threw him in a pit. In fact, they tried to stage his death, and then they changed their mind. And at that given moment, a band of desert nomads passed by. So they, they decide that, you know what? Well, instead of killing him, we'll just sell Joseph to these desert nomads and make him a slave instead. And you guys know the rest of the story. Joseph, he went through a lot of things that didn't make sense. And, but he ends up being the second in command in Egypt second only to Pharaoh himself. And God used them to save the nation uh, from certain death and starvation because of a famine. And not only that, and more importantly, God used Joseph to save his entire family, even the people that had just sold them into slavery. Well, guess what? Joseph is a direct descendant of Isaac, Sarah's son. 
Joseph saves his entire family lineage. And do you know who came from the line of Joseph? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But guess who the band of nomads who purchased Joseph were? They were Ishmaelites, direct descendants of Ishmael himself, Hagar's son. You see, Hagar, she had no idea that her son and his descendants would play a major part in destiny of the Savior of the world. She had no idea and neither did she get to see that God would redeem her pain and that God would take something so hurtful and that he would somehow use it for his glory. So as I close this morning, I'm going to call the worship team to come up. I want you to listen to these words found in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. Beautiful words. I want you to just plant them in your hearts and take them with you. It says, Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord, who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. So I want you to remember that the next time you're dealing with circumstances that don't make sense to you. Remember that God sees you, that God hears you, and that his plans are for you. And remember that just because it doesn't make sense does not mean that it's senseless. And if you're here this morning with with a heavy heart and, and things just don't make sense to you right now, I want you to take this next song that the worship team is about to sing, and I want you to use it just to, just to cry out to God in your time of need and hand over all that pain and tell him, you know, God, I don't understand. I'm hurting right now. This doesn't make any sense to me. And please know that God can take your hurt and your pain and your misery and in the grand scheme of his ultimate supreme purpose, he will use it to bring glory to the Father. And no matter where you're at this morning, all of us should use this to just cry out to God and say, Thy will be done.